Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. Uh, another special episode. Um, every Once every year, I think, we pretty much get around to doing this, <laughs> right? Where we have David James Keaton on. And now, lately, the last few episodes, we make him review the stuff that he writes, which is uh, which is kind of an interesting format. So um, looking forward to this one. This one should be fun. Yeah, we couldn't really get away with it with any other author, although we should probably try more, I think. But it is, it's become kind of a special thing just with us and David, I think. I can't wait to ask him why he would rewrite Fifty Shades of Grey from Christian's point of view. I just don't understand the concept, <laughs> so I don't, I don't know. But I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing what his answer is on that. I guess before we get to that, now Rob, I'm going to read this this bio, and I want you to tell me if you think anything is missing from this, and, and maybe we could talk about this a little bit. Do we have to pretend, James... or do we have to pretend, or can I just say what I think it is now? <laughs> <laughs> am I just Let's... supposed to? Am I supposed to sit here? Yes, just sit there because we're going to talk just fuck about everything you. up, or should exactly. I jump in and no, say? No. That? Oh no, no, this is even better. Just oh. sit there and be quiet. <laughs> I'm just going to sit here. Okay, I was just hoping it would start to come together. <laughs> David James Keaton's work has appeared in over 50 <laughs> publications, including, Rob, pay attention to this list, Grift, Chicago Quarterly Review, Thuglet, Hank, and Noir at the Bar 2, uh, Plots with Guns number 10, and that was a notable story of 2010 by Story South's Million Writers Award. He won a 2012 Spine Tingler Award for Best Short Story on the Web. His first collection, Fish Bites Cop Stories to Bash Authorities, was named 2013 Short Story Collection of the Year by This Is Horror and was a finalist for the Killer Nashville Silver something falchion award falchion thank you falchion award huge deal (laughs) he has also been nominated for the pushcard prize and was the editor-in-chief and co-founder of flywheel magazine these days he's tinkering with several screenplays including a prison movie a thriller and a western also adapting them into novels one of which i believe we'll be talking about this evening he realized this method is probably backwards his books are available wherever insanity is sold and his first novel the last projector just landed i guess it landed quite a while ago we have a slightly outdated bio <laughs> rob glaring glaring omission that is an right. amazing amazing bio a glaring omission and, and what is that omission um the book's anthology what the fuck oh shit dude seriously like we just reviewed paul tremblay <laughs> who was in the book's anthology he didn't mention us in his bio. Like, you know why? I can tell you, I can tell you right now why that's not happening. Because you got that period in your name, and it looks like a fucking typo. If you put book <laughs> anthology in the bio, you get more edits back. You're like, hey, we gotta fix this. You All right, that, that was a good excuse. That was a good excuse. That's and you know exactly, what's odd? I looked at it for a good 10, 15 seconds. I thought I cannot leave that in there. I can't leave it in not right, and I can't leave it in with that stupid period. So I bounced it out of it. Sadly, both David's <laughs> and and Paul's stories in the book anthology were some of my favorite things I've probably read by them. Both yeah. of them really, really good, and the world will never hear about them because of editors or something. I'll tell you what, though. Fred Venturini, like a fucking champion, it's the first page with words on it in his book, which, by the way, um, I really dug. Does he have the period on there? Hang on, I'm going to it. It does. Okay, it's not the first page with words, but it's the first page with. Hang on a second. Did they take it out since I got the book? Yeah, it does. The book anthology with the period. (laughs) They took it out of your copy of the book. (laughs) In the middle of the sentence. Yeah. Wow. Yep. Okay. Well, he's you know. He's got a better editor. He makes big bucks. When you when you get on Picador, I just want you to know they're not going to have a problem with it. So. You can go ahead and put us right back in that bio. 
I mean, I thought about putting it at the end of the sentence, but then you've got a period and then another period, and it looks like you're getting ready to say something else. So that doesn't work either. Um, I guess, do we really need to welcome David onto the show? No, no. We don't need to welcome <laughs> He introduced himself, I think. I want, I want every bit of respect you give to somebody who's never been on the show before. David, thank you so much for taking time out of what apparently is a very busy schedule this year. Yeah, evening. hi, guys. Thanks for having me back. Um, um, I think the first time we had David on, um, I, I, if I remember correctly, didn't like the pizza guy show up or something? Like, because we had gone long. That sounds familiar. Be. Yeah, that, I think that was. That sounds about right. I just feel like every time that we get you on, like there's something pressing happening right after. Well, I already the pizza guy already showed up, and, that, and it was actually kind of well, it was a Jimmy John's guy actually, and I saw him yesterday too, so that felt a little strange. <laughs> <laughs> it was what we shared a moment. People are going to start talking. Yeah, he just uh, he was <laughs> he was just a little uh, he was he was surprised to see me, but he because he didn't they must have a lot of they must deliver a lot of sandwiches because he didn't know he had been there before, and that was only twenty four hours earlier. That or they don't hire the top talent to deliver Jimmy John's. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's very efficient. He brought it right to my hand. I mean, I, I shouldn't. I shouldn't order Jimmy John's anyway. Aren't they a bunch of fucking idiots and pay shit and union bashers or gay bashers or something? <laughs> gay union bashers. <laughs> they they, they, they support unions. zero gay unions. I think they are. But I give them a really good tip, so I figure it's better that I order that sandwich than not do it. Well, then that goes <laughs> back. Su- into the, You're uh, subverting from the inside, right? Well, I assume that they're all stealing from the guy anyway. I mean... They're working that job and not stealing from it, then I have no respect for them. <laughs> Jobs like that are supposed to be stolen from. <laughs> I don't even know what to say to that. Um, same way, same way, you're stealing my time tonight. <laughs> you know, Jimmy John's, my local Jimmy John's, stops into my work like twice a year and drops off samples. And then I'll be honest, I always lie about the number of employees that are currently working because then they leave extra sandwiches and I usually eat them. Yeah, they're not bad. I mean. Wow, they're better than Subway. Subway's horrible now. <laughs> no, Subway's been horrible for years. It was okay for back in the let's 90s. just yeah. Let's welcome just review to, sandwich places. Welcome tonight. to sandwich. Yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll give you. We'll give your book some stars. Don't worry about it. But let's just talk food for an hour. Welcome to Subway. Period. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Subbed. There you Subbed. go. Subbed. Welcome to sub. I have no opinion on sandwiches. David, would you kindly read for our listeners the um, the synopsis for Pig Iron? Okay. I guess I'll... It's, uh, there's no union here. I guess I'll do your job for you. Pig Iron is a risable struggle between love and subversion of the Western genre. There you go. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> Was there music in the background, too? Did you... <laughs> How did you manage that? Our production value to our that was some, that was a text. Some people wondering where I'm at because you scheduled this at nine o'clock Eastern time, <laughs> not knowing that you live in the center of the country, and so people wonder where I'm at. Well, where are you currently living? I'm in Kentucky. Isn't that kind of the center of the country too? <laughs> yes, is the center where the shit comes out. I'm not very. I'm not very good at geography or anything. <laughs> Why don't we just we just fucking spend an hour arguing with each other? <laughs> there you go. 
It's it's very combative this time, and I think it's because it you it guys is. said this was at nine o'clock, and now it's that's your bio, man. People are wondering where I'm at. Well, we're gonna edit this to sound a lot rougher than it is. <laughs> <clears throat> Do you want me to read the rest of the synopsis, or can people just fucking deal with it? Um, you want to try to let's read every other se- uh, sentence, see if that works. Uh, no, I don't have no, the energy for that. No, let's try it. It'll be like uh, it'll be like uh, a couple of rappers. I'm game. All right. Why not? <laughs> Who's starting? You already did the... Up to I already the- did the first. You're at the works pig iron. All right. Pig iron takes place in the desert town of Aquafria after the wells have run dry. Where dry. Where Craigstown folk drink whiskey instead whiskey. of water, water. <laughs> priming their bodies as Bodies. well as their situation for combustion. combustion. Myths are exploded. Horses are treated with a little respect. Atheist preachers hurl Bible quotes without irony. irony. Villains and heroes sweat booze as their time runs out. That was my turn. They have three days before they die of dehydration. Dehydration. <laughs> Only three days to search for... Elusive. Yeah, there it is. There it is. You had a lot of trouble with that word. No, no, I was right, though. Oh, you were right. That's true. Uh, right perceived wrongs and battle murderous hallucinations. With the philosophy of Western terminology, real and imagine this violent yarn as Deadwood meets a clockwork orange with a shot of rye. Rye. Scarecrows. Scarecrows. W R Y. Did you guys read the glossary? Um, I referred to the glossary often throughout the book. Did you find out that everything means masturbation? <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. You know what? It's odd that you say that because I only read like the first page and that's exactly what I was thinking, that basically all of it's masturbation. See, I didn't flip back and forth in the ebook. It's um, it's tough because um, the glossary actually isn't listed in the chapter in the version that I have. Oh, shit. So, yeah, so I got it. I thought maybe the glossary wasn't in the ebook and then I got to, you know, the 90% mark and I was like, oh, the story ended and there's a bunch of glossary after it, so... Um, so no, but I was, I thought some of it was clever. Some of the stuff I read. So how, what percentage of that glossary would you say is imagined? Um, two thirds. I was going to say, I'm guessing 100. <laughs> no, there's about, about a third of it is legit from a bunch of, uh, Western slang, uh, dictionaries. That's where I started. Um, so I'd say about a third of it is real, about another fifth of it is uh, totally imaginary words. And then the rest of it are just words where I've given them new definitions. So, whatever that comes out. That classic. So, so it increases re readability. So you get two, two reads out of it. And also it's sure. a way, it's a pretty traditional story. So that was a way where I didn't have to make it too, uh, I don't know, make it too much of a metafiction postmodern update that I could just update the words themselves so it could be on the surface a very straightforward western um, until you looked, you know, beyond the sentences or something. That was the idea I had anyway. Because I, I realized going into it that it wasn't going to be what I wanted it to be because of the nature of the genre. So that was what screwed with it. Yeah, I think that was one of Levius's early uh, observations about the book that it was that it was just so uh, kind of straightforward, not as crazy as your typical Keaton story. Am I right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it it started out in the um, in the prologue, 
I was like, this is just really, really sad and kind of, I don't know, just really straight for the stuff we normally expect from you. And no worries. It, no worries. It, it gets it gets your typical Keaton crazy at, at parts. But it definitely started off on a very significantly different note than pretty much anything else I think I've read of yours. Yeah, that was a that was an attempt to do something different. Oh, but don't worry. I keep muting my mic. For the people that are listening, I keep muting my microphone because there's like a crazy like celebration happening in my neighborhood right now. So there's a lot of music and stuff. So <laughs> Rob, what celebrations happening over there? Well, next week is the Pride Parade. So naturally, now, no, Rob said next week is the actual yeah. the parade. Okay. So there's a street festival that happens the week before that also has to do with Pride, um, and so that's been going on this weekend. Um, so I'm trying to mute my mic. So if you hear music sometimes and not others, it's because I'm trying to keep the keep it down a little bit. <clears throat> um, what I was going to say was that um, people who have read David's uh, the work before, like I specifically noticed probably two or three different times where there was. Um, things that were said throughout the book that were very reminiscent of um, other writing, uh, specifically like the nine cops killed for a goldfish cracker with uh, people hating magicians and uh, things being folded multiple times and stuff like that. Oh yeah, yeah. That's just probably indicative of when it was written. It was um, I started messing with the screenplay that it originally was back back in like 2009 or whatever that's probably that was about when uh the fish bites cop stories were coming out so yeah that stuff lingered it permeated everything or something like that so um you were skipping past the prologue not that it's not important to the story but we basically um we we pick up in in aquafria in new mexico the summer of 1895 and time is simultaneously important and maybe not so important in this story as it kind of bounces back and forth between now and uh, the, the now that we're reading in and some time before that and in some cases maybe some time in the future. <laughs> um, but uh, we, we we meet Red, who is the, the you know, I kind of want to say he's, he's the antagonist, but I don't know, to me, I think that the story was more about Red than than it was about anybody else. So So we meet one of our main characters, Red, um, who's riding a horse that's uh, it's got a big hole in its head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That horse is uh, not doing too well, but it's doing better than the rest of them. <laughs> For a dead horse, though, I think it's doing pretty great. Um, it's doing pretty good. <laughs> All right, and um, so essentially, the the setup is a aquifria, which um, I guess translates to cold water ran out of water and so the whole idea is that there's just like a you know a finite amount of time before everybody's going to start dying from dehydration and so most people are leaving um and uh but there are some people who kind of stubbornly stay behind um and because they're out of water they start drinking like whiskey instead of water which one of my thoughts throughout the book was where'd they get all this goddamn whiskey yeah um that's a good question. <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, you know, I just figured that would be, they didn't have bottled water back then. So that's, they're just getting it from the bar, getting it from the, you know, their homes. Yeah. There never seems to be a shortage of booze and, um, in like Westerns. Now that I think about it. 
yeah, I think that was that was my feel was that just like it's the ever present kind of factor in in what in classic western stories and stuff like that, or at least be our impressions of classic western stories. Yeah, and when I was writing it, um, when I first started trying to make it into a movie, uh, I'd watched a bunch of westerns and I just made a list of things that I saw repeated in other western movies. And then um, I tried to address everything on this list. And one of them was, um, you know, whiskey everywhere. And, you know, another one would be a hanging. And, uh, you know, another one would be um, a shoot, you know, a duel at noon. And there was a list of probably about 50 things that I tried to reverse or tried to do something slightly different. Or if you're watching that moment in the Western and you thought, oh, they should have done that. I tried to do that. Um, but one thing that's in, like Livia said, every Western, they're tossing a bottle, you know, like like magicians, magicians we know and love. Bottles come out of everywhere, you know, and get tossed around, and they uncork them and take a swig and toss it back, and it's like, where did that come from, and why is it always theirs? I like it. So as Rob had mentioned, um, not everybody is planning on leaving the town. So um, Red, as already mentioned, is kind of the leader of a, in a weird group of of uh i don't know wild west uh, criminals i guess is the best way i can put it um red obviously being the brains behind uh behind the operation has reason to stay in aquafria after it's all dried up uh, and then we're introduced to what arguably would be the protagonist david i don't know protagonist the ranger yeah he's uh since it's loosely based on the on the Marty Robbins song, you know the ranger is the is the hero. He's the expected. He's the the stranger who rides into town to, you know, save the day. So we're introduced to uh, the ranger Bob Ford, um, who is uh, understands that Aquafria is drying up, but ha- has reason. He's going to go track down the one uh, the one outlaw that's that's kind of been on his list for for a long time. We find out why later in the book. But uh, he sets off to go to the dying town, and you can already see the kind of the the inevitable showdown that, that's coming down the way really early on in the in the pages of this book. Yeah, and Bob Ford's named after the famous Robert Ford who shot Jesse James. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Now, oh, now it makes total sense. I like it. <laughs> um. Interesting little side note, as Bob <laughs> heads to Aquafria, he stops in another town, the name of which I don't remember. Is that first motorcycle of the episode, Livius? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Time stamped. Give it, give it seven minutes, he'll be at your house. <laughs> yep. It's an important package. Um, uh, and, he, and he stops at a, at a defunct, uh, an out-of-business gun store, um, and visits uh, his father, who... Um, <laughs> for whatever reason, used to work for, I believe it was Smith and Wesson, right? Am I right about this? Yeah. Which, uh, and, um, then stole, <laughs> I can't remember the exact story, but essentially like he stopped working for them, opened up a gun store and I think he was using stolen parts of guns from when he worked at Smith and Wesson to like build guns later, but he didn't, but they like, he always built them. It was, it's a really strange situation, but, um, uh, the gun, <laughs> the guns he made like he he built guns that would blow up in your hand. Am I right about that? Yeah, this is a basically, little bit... it's too. Um, there's a lot of overt references to Johnny Cash in this book, and 
basically to have a gun that constantly blows up in your hand is, is a reference to a boy named Sue where, you know, to, to make sure that you become tough, he, he basically made sure his, his son would never be able to successfully use a gun. So he was forced to be tough in other ways because his guns would never work. So that was his way of, you know, essentially naming him Sue, you know, like the song goes. It made him into a tough guy by having guns that blew up. And then that's why later in the book there's a chapter called A Gun, a gun Named Sue. It's like named after a Sioux Indian, and that's another part of, the, part of the book. But then the other reference to Johnny Cash there is um, One Piece at a Time. If you've ever read uh, or if you've ever heard that song, it's about a person who works at an auto plant, and he steals a piece of these cars um, every time he goes home, and he builds his own car out of them. And then at the end of it, uh, the Johnny Cash song, it, it sings what what kind of car he's got, and it's like, I've got a, a 67, 68, 69, 70. And so it's a pretty funny ending that he's got this big hybrid clusterfuck of a car. Um, and that's what these guns are. They're, big, they're clusterfuck guns that they're um, anachronistic. They don't, uh, the dates don't quite match. I actually found a gun calendar and went through it, and um, the gun calendar featured a different gun for each month, and I thought, well, that's a great idea, but... Instead, I added a story to them and then changed the dates and made it so that the guns um, made little sense. And that's what would happen at a defunct gun store where somebody was using stolen parts to, you know, pass them off as actual legitimate guns. That's why he has a bullshit story for each gun. That's um, it's kind of interesting that Rob had mentioned some, I don't know, tributes or crossovers into... Um, the last projector, because one of them is that some of those dates when those guns are manufactured um, hadn't occurred yet. Exactly. <laughs> which was which was pretty awesome. So a lot of the flashbacks in this book um, go back to um, Bob Ford and his dad, and his dad explaining to him uh, through the course of the book, and I don't remember if there were quite 12 flashbacks for this, but he's going through the calendar that David just mentioned and talking about these guns <laughs> And which ones and what's likely to happen if you use them with some backstory. Sometimes I get the feeling that they were authentic backstories. They were. Sometimes was, even Bob didn't believe <laughs> that they were authentic. So, yeah, about, I think a, probably a good third of them are based on truth. They're, um, they were taken from, you know, I did some research on each of the guns that I was doing sort of a parody of. So the, the backstory has enough truth of it. Just enough so if somebody reads it who actually knows something about guns, like Ben Whitmer, for example, he could say, bullshit, this is not, this is not accurate. But it's not you know, ridiculous enough that you would even get, if it was too ridiculous, you wouldn't get frustrated. So this is just inaccurate enough and ridiculous <laughs> enough that you start off saying, oh, yeah, I know the, the story of the, the brothers that formed that company. And then you're like, wait, what? No, that didn't happen. So, and that's because, as we've talked about, the characters can be wrong. That doesn't mean, <laughs> that, doesn't mean that I've dropped the ball in any way. The characters I'm, start, I'm starting to get more and more of a feeling that you wrote this just to kind of troll people who read westerns. <laughs> that's, you didn't even want to write. You were basically saying, I'm going to see if I can aggravate hey, I'm the going Louis Lamour fans. I'm going for the fucking Spur Award on this shit, man. I want, I want whatever western award there is. <laughs> I'm going to infiltrate um, I do want to say that some of my favorite parts of the book are the the, the gun stories from the gun calendar um, because uh, the father does kind of basically name 
a month uh, for each gun. Uh, like that's how he tracks time is through uh, what gun. Uh, anyway, um, some of the stuff in there is just it was some of my favorite writing. And I don't know if it was written separately or just kind of like contiguously as part of like when you were writing the book, but like um, that stuff was just rock solid and and in in the typical David James Keaton style too. So there's number two motorcycle. <laughs> well, it, it was one of those. It's one of those places where you can indulge. Like like I said, the 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 bones of a story like this. It's it just it's tough to indulge. It's tough to you know do those kind of, um, you know, rhetorical stunts. And this was an exercise in trying to keep it recognizable as a Western. So when it came, when there's an opportunity to have a character who's sort of lost their mind or has this, is telling wild stories, then, you know, you're unleashed and you can use that to, you know, have a little, little pyrotechnics there. And another little, uh, if you look close at the, um, at the book, if you have a copy of it, there's a there's other little uh, little bells and whistles in it. But those little gun schematics at the beginning of each chapter, I don't know if you noticed. Um, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yep. Um, if you look close at them, they're printed backwards. And if oh yeah, and if you recall later in the book, that's why the guns are exploding. Is because they have an old Sears and Robot catalog, that was <laughs> printed in reverse, and it's the only thing that he was basing his construction on when he um, went to rebuild them. So, you know, we had the option of fixing that or fixing the book. If you know what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and we know it's road you would choose. <laughs> Um, only a couple more characters to mention that feature pretty prominently. Uh, McKenna, who is the sister of the ranger, and one of the reasons he's returning to Aquafria, or going to Aquafria, is to uh, to make sure she's okay. Um, and uh, and she's there. She has her own reasons for still being there, along with her son, um, Robbie. Was it Robbie? Robbie? Yeah, named after me, I'm guessing. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> just going to gloss this. Yes. Um, and, uh, Tom, who's, uh, um, another ranger who, who follows the, uh, who follows Bob to, um, to Aquafria also with his own motivations. Everyone has motivations in this book, except for maybe egg. I don't think egg had any motivations at all, but he's, he's my favorite. <laughs> he's, he's so when I, at the beginning I was reading this and I said, I, I'm in the prologue and, and, and I go, man, this is really serious. This is going to be something really different. But yeah, now egg is, is your very, your very <laughs> stylistically, your very Keaton character, like just bat shit crazy. But his reasons all kind of make sense to him and they start to make sense to you over time. Um, yeah. He's, which, he's the only, um, I, I would say he's the, uh, he's the more legitimate rival of red. He's, I think that he's more, um, whereas the ranger, you know, fulfills this, this sort of larger than life, uh, sort of iconic characterization that there's not a whole lot of wiggle room with egg is. And as the story goes along, he's the one who, uh, is the, the one most well suited in a position to stop the bad guy. Um, 
I would have to agree with that. And, and he's the only one in the gang who mouths off to him. And he's even though he's the weakest, he's the, they're all making fun of his size, and he doesn't seem to have anything except you know an imaginary spider or whatever. But he he's also <laughs> the one who talks back to the to the unstoppable bad guy. And come, oh, I don't want to spoil anything, but he <laughs> is the most dangerous of of his gang. Yeah, he definitely has a a, a skill specifically suited to, <laughs> to to taking to taking care of business um something he's been working on for a long time which i, I thought was kind of fascinating so i gotta give it up too like my thought was that Dave, david you managed to work in a nerd into the a, a western <laughs> story which like i mean because that's what egg really is he's just like this nerdy kid who he's kind of smart and he's like weak but like you know he, his power comes from derives from not from confidence or your strength or your your typical manly things, but like from from like you know his his intelligence and stuff like that. Yeah, he tried to he out tried to outthink it. He tried to think his way through that situation. And on a you know the, when the timeline is extended long enough, he had a master plan. Yep. He had a, a plan that almost um, made sense. Now that you mentioned the imaginary spider, so we have a horse with a hole in its head. We have an imaginary spider. Do you... I don't know how to say this. So there are parts towards later in this book. You have people who have gone without water for, for days and days. So you start to get some weird hallucinations. And, and you start to not be really sure of, of what's going on in certain parts. How much of it's real and how much of it's imagined. Right. Would you say... I mean, is there a supernatural element to this book? I think there is. I think that... I think it would be a cop-out to say it's all hallucination. I think that there's there are clues there, um, even when people are still relatively sane, that suggest that, you know, it, there's something supernatural happening if you shoot a horse in the head, and it continues to exist, and if you shoot it again and it can, you know what I mean? Is that so? That's your so you got a zombie horse situation, and also there may or may not be um, other sort of. Uh, um, I don't want to. I don't want to say the the word of the other creature that might be in there, but there is some changing going on that, in my mind, is actually happening. I think that if if there if you can let there be another layer to it, there's a layer of hallucination that makes it reasonable what's happening in a supernatural situation. If that makes any sense. They're yeah, hallucinating, or- but there's already something supernatural happening so they hallucinate right back to almost normality <laughs> that poor fucking horse man like it wasn't bad enough that it was dead some of the shit that happens to it through the course of the book especially later on it's just like just let the fucking horse die man just let him die <laughs> well I, and I like the idea of um, of two characters switching horses and finding out oh this was the horse I should have had I wouldn't have hated horses all my life if I had this horse. Yep. Um, and that, I found I'd written myself into a hole by killing the horse too early. <laughs> so, it's like, well, that, that horse ain't dead yet. Because I still need it. Um, story-wise, I mean, there's not there's not a, a ton that we can talk about without getting spoilery. So, we have the ranger is going to meet up with Red, and you can you know what's going to happen. You know he's there, um, trying to trying to 
take care of Red and, you know, scoop up the, the remainder of his family that's in Aqua Fria and, you know, his shit's going crazy. There's a preacher. We didn't mention the crazy-ass preacher. <laughs> There's a preacher who's also kind of slowly going mad and kind of changing his thoughts on what God wants from page to page in some cases. Um, yeah, who is having, also... A, he's having an existential crisis. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and that's... And other than that, I mean, it's... It, <laughs> Other than that, other than all the weird supernatural shit and everything else we talked about, it, it does it does come across as a fairly standard, you know, white hat to black hat Western. And I mean, obviously, there's uh, D- David always tends to it's weird to talk to you as if you're not here, talk about you as if you're not here when you are here. But um, you, it, it's it's got the density of a Keaton story, I would say. Livius kept saying that he thought the page count was bullshit because there was so much going on. And um, so there's there's a lot more. <clears throat> there's a whole conspiracy about whether water actually does exist somewhere in the town and it's being hidden. There's a sheriff that got killed that we didn't talk about that was not hugely pivotal to the story, but like, um, you know, sheriff getting killed kind of brings the rangers out to establish order, blah, 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 that kind of thing. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of stuff that goes on. David vaguely made a reference to um, I'm going to cut this part out as I say it, but um, you're talking about kids shape-shifting into, like, wolves, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, cool. <laughs> you, can, you can leave it. All right. <laughs> and it, it's, uh, yeah, it's, I, I don't want to say werewolf, but. Um, I took it kind of like as a Native American, kind of like the Southwest has yeah. that kind of kind of thing, the spiritual animal right. connection thing. Yeah, and there is a um, there is a Native American um, kind of bookend to it with the the gun named Sue, um, you know S I O U X at the end. That maybe that there's been some sort of influence um, over them, and so yeah, it's definitely more of a more of an old West, uh, more of a weird West than you know a, a typical monster story or something. And those things are never overt, so. There's always the out if somebody wants to, just like the characters, if they want to believe what's happening is a result of them being dehydrated, it's, it lines up with that too. Um, I think we've, we've covered, we've done some pretty good justice to the story. I, you know, I kind of, but David, do you think we've done okay so far? Yeah, yeah. Did you get to the song at the end? <laughs> I don't know, how did we not mention this song? This okay. song has been like well, dominating my social media. Talk about the goddamn song. So Here's two 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 things I have to say. First of all, my my comment about the page count being bullshit is, and I don't know, I have I have a pre-release digital copy. When I was at the fifty percent mark, my Kindle said it was going to take me another three and a half hours to finish reading this book. That's why I came up with this page count as bullshit because this is like seven hundred pages by my math, according no, to. No, it's it's tiny. I, I swear to God, I am telling you, I'm looking at this thing and the number is just not changing. It's not changing. <laughs> so so I go, holy shit, I'm halfway, and I got to set now, aside another three plus hours to finish ninety more pages. Apparently, now there's a blurb. Now that's a blurb somebody could use. I'm looking at the page and it's like not moving. Yeah. <laughs> Um. <laughs> and I haven't listened to the whole song, and here's why: I listened to half of it, and I got caught up to the part where I was in the book, and I was like, "The fucking song is going to spoil the book for me." <laughs> so I had to stop listening to the song, and I, I haven't come back. Well, the the book is barely 200 pages; it's positively tiny. Yeah, it really is. Um, 
And I actually had to send Livius like a picture of the text on the page because I was reading the um the, the printed copy so that he could see that it wasn't like really, really super tiny print or something like that. He thought it was like I was a like, are you gonna be done by Sunday night? And I was like, No, because it's like four more fucking hours to finish this book. It's not gonna happen. I'm only halfway. It was working magic on him. You yeah. cast a spell. See, I, I like <clears throat> that's actually good, that's head. good news. The idea that it's de- a dense book is good news because it feels so thin to me. It feels like a it still feels like a skeleton of a book. But that's compared to the the previous thing maybe. I, I still haven't shaken that experience. <laughs> the last projector being Yeah. And plus the I, the way I wrote this was adapting it from a screenplay into a novel and so it retained a lot of the screenplay cues. Yeah. And it just felt very lean. It still does. So is this, is this a screenplay you, you faxed in that was like 100 pages too long? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yep. that's it. Yep. That's exactly it. I told you guys that story, I think, on a podcast. You did? Yep. Oh, man, if I was if I was a responsible podcaster, I would know what episode that was. Yeah, I don't remember. Um, yeah, that was uh, my attempt to, to get a um, to get a, uh, an agent or um, get somebody to make that screenplay. And they were printing it out and said... Um, have you ever written a screenplay before? It seemed like a really innocent question, but they were trying to bait me because they were the big punchline was we've been printing it and printing it and it hasn't stopped and it should have stopped by now. And I didn't realize a screenplay was supposed to be eighty pages. I thought, you know, the bigger the better. <laughs> it's a page per minute, right? Isn't that the um Yeah the, the general rule? Yeah, and there there weren't a lot of speeches in it, so I figured they would still be okay. But it was it was long, but even a long screenplay makes for a tiny book. <laughs> now there's a quote right there. <laughs> <laughs> you just like all the big generalizations of things I know nothing about. All right, in order to keep up with uh, with Dave's busy schedule, we should probably get into the quote so we can wrap this bad boy up and let this man get on his way. All right, I got a good one to kick this off with. This is a nice. Um, Nice quote from Red from earlier in the book. I've done some thinking, boys, Red says, and I was thinking that a man should have stole as many horses, fucked as many women, and killed as many men as the number of years he's been on this earth. That means this can be the last horse I'll steal for a while. Your sisters can be the last I've nailed to the counter for a while. But I'll be needing to catch up on that other number. Hell, I figure if I'm at least within three, I'll be satisfied. Nailed to the counter. Yeah, that's our introduction to Red in this book. And that's like one of the first things he starts talking about. I think I was very proud of my introduction to Red. Isn't he introduced by throwing a broken bottle into a baby's crib? (laughs) That was one of the things I think I either meant to text Livius or actually did. 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 Like it's within 30 pages of the book and there's already an infant drinking whiskey. Well, it's just to get him ready for life. Here's um, here's a, an interesting concept. Now I'm gonna go with this one is probably fictional. This is from the calendar, and I'm gonna paraphrase a little bit to get through some of this. So this is uh, February in the gun calendar, and it's the first 44. Uh, I'm gonna kind of skip down to the what, what, what the part that I really liked. Uh, this weapon here was a prototype where the firing pin rotated instead of the cylinder. No more guessing what chamber had a bullet in it. If you were one of those boys that liked to spit it after loading, or one of those fools who liked to guess, this particular gun killed 27 people the day it debuted, all during games of Russian roulette. 
That's good. I'm going to go with fiction on that. The beginning of it is is true. Right. Yeah. The, that's, yeah. the prototype, um, unless the research was was wrong, said that that's how it was built. And then the uh, obviously the second part wasn't true. <laughs> um, my next. Well, we wish we wish it was. Yes. We, yes. <laughs> we really do. Uh, my next quote's also from um, one of the the gun calendar stories. Um, <laughs> this is about a gun that um, you could see all the different machinations on the inside. I don't know. If, I can't remember what it was called. Um, the skeleton revolver. Yeah. Oh, is it that symbol? That's what it was. I think that's the one. Okay. Legend has it that this skeleton of a gun was fired into the skeleton of a dog, so that they could study the inside of the gun and the target simultaneously. <laughs> Please tell me that that's true because, like, you would have found, like, the real-life example of what goes on in your mind. Yeah, no, that wasn't true. They, they, did, have a, they did have a gun that was built like that. But, um, again, second part, wish fulfillment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. This was one of the... Um, <clears throat> and there are a few really disturbing images and, and passages. Disturbing, sad in some cases, but... Um, uh, this one is kind of the, the, the townspeople are, are on their way out, you know, a, a group of them, as happened in the West, everybody traveled like in a little straight line, you know. Um, Red's Mexican woman is skittering behind the dog, carrying a dead gray baby. Mercifully, it's upside down so no one can get lost in its sunken eyes. Um, yeah, that's fucking heartbreaking. <laughs> that's some sick shit, bro. If I remember correctly, there was a part where um, some of the people that were escaping the town uh, were being observed by someone else. And there was a woman who had obviously been eating something because there was blood on her face. But there was also like a little bib hanging from her mouth or something. Did she eat a baby? Yeah, they, they were resorting to cannibalism, yes. That was the, um, that was, uh, that might have been the first, first start of the blood drinking because they start to realize blood's a, a lot better of a um, of a choice than whiskey. It's pretty gruesome. This I like the last line, but this the rest of it is the, the lead up to it. After a couple of slips and muttered curses, and this is um, the horse switch, right? After a couple of slips and muttered curses, he'd saddled it and mounted. He spits at a spot of dirt on its neck and roughly rubs a burr from its tangled mane as he leads it outside. They squint up at the sun together and recoil. It's the last time they'll agree on anything. Beautifully done. Last time they'll agree on anything is good. This uh, this might be my favorite um, my favorite passage in the book, and, and it's it's not real important to the story, <clears throat> but um, uh, Bob and Tom, the the Rangers. Um, they they run into a couple of guys who who are who are on the trail and and kind of don't want to get out of each other's way. And uh, you know Tom is yelling at them like you know what you're not on the trail anymore. There's no reason you can't go around each other. Anyway, uh, uh, Tom takes him a minute to realize the first rider with the glasses is slowly pulling a gun from his belt. The other starts reaching for his gun too, and Tom and the ranger shake their heads as they watch what has to be the most lethargic quick draw in history. As the men continue to bring up their guns, arms straining with the weight of a thousand pounds, Tom holds up a pocket watch to show the ranger tapping the glass sarcastically. <laughs> Hilarious. And it goes on. It's like three paragraphs for these guys to actually get their guns out and shoot at one another. 
I saw a, a fist fight like that once outside of a bar with these two drunks. They were throwing the slowest punches of all time. And a lot of the <laughs> a lot of the, the descriptions there was us making fun of those guys later, talking about how slow <laughs> punch could go. That's excellent. I have a, a quick quote. And I was like, oh, Keaton, when I read this. <laughs> the, the Apaches did invent thumb wrestling, but their version is to the death. <laughs> I'm guessing 100% wish fulfillment there. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> sounds, that sounds reasonable. It makes me really nervous to thumb wrestle anybody of Native American descent, though. Yeah, it's... Thumb wrestling, is that's no joke. There's a, a little bit of setup to this. Again, as Rob had mentioned, some of our favorite stuff um, came from the um, from the gun calendar. So this is referencing July's gun. Uh, they say they're working on something called a magnum as we speak. Whatever the hell that is. Sounds like a goddamn Indian name to me. Goddamn thing must shoot arrows and sadness. Wow. Well, that was my last quote. God damn it, was it really? Yeah, but I'll just do a different one instead. Okay. This is all improvising. Um, and I'll just do this one because it's so fucking hilarious. Uh, <laughs> this is the worst quote to go out on. Um, the the <laughs> shooting arrows and sadness was, was like, that, that was going to be my big exit, but all right. I should I switched it around. I should have done that one as my penultimate quote. Anyway. Anyone with red hair, they got it in Texas where you can still fuck an orangutan without, without a marriage license. That actually is true. <laughs> it's one of the true things in this that's, story. That's 100% true. I'm not surprised. Don't mess with Texas. Yeah, the uh, you guys probably noticed the Native Americans and the the uh, um, uh, African American slaves in there are the ones who come out definitely the uh, most reasonable and the side- classiest. <laughs> and they sidestep pretty much the entire uh, incident. They started, some of them are watching from a distance. That so the, the black men leave town almost immediately. Um, and uh, I just thought that was funny because I was, as I watched as, as many Westerns as I could, I noticed that, um, you know, it's rare that you see black cowboys, um, with the exception of the Bruce Springsteen song, Black Cowboys. And the, the book's argument is that, um, you know, they'd be there, but they wouldn't be in a situation that idiotic <laughs> there wouldn't be any reason to risk their lives um, now this might sound like stereotyping and maybe well, it's it stereotype, is it's stereotyping in the way that um, the, you know the old joke about a horror movie that uh, only the white people would walk towards whatever's yep. the yeah. problem is well yeah no we own we own we've cornered the market on crazy <laughs> Whenever you see, so, you know, so, yeah, you watch the news and there are certain news stories about certain, you know, whatever ethnicities of people, the fucking batshit crazy ones are always white. So white it's, people have cornered the market on crazy. That's for sure. Didn't somebody do a video? Um, it might have been on YouTube or somebody showed it to me where they they basically had a bunch of people run past either black or white people and the black people joined the running while they asked what was going on. And the white people headed towards whatever danger was happening. Yeah. You know, they thought it was a horror movie and they wanted to die as quickly as possible. That's amazing. Uh, let's do these wrap ups. Let's get some wrap ups going on. 
Rob, take the take the lead on this one. I was very excited to read, well, just anything David writes because I'm a big fan of his style, uh, of his writing in general, and a Western. Um, now, we did see parts of this book, very, very little small snippet of it in Fish Bites Cop. But, uh, you know, not, not, a, not a substantial amount of the book, so we pretty much just went in not knowing really very much beside the the synopsis and from hearing the song which we haven't really talked about too much but i did listen to the song um uh what's the name of the guy that does the song david the original song is marty robbins but the the parody is by Artie Steelens. <laughs> <laughs> of course it is i get it i get it it's that so that might not be a real name that might be fiction <laughs> if, well, if it's we, well we attempted to get the rights to use the entire song because um, I thought it would be cool to print the song that it's inspired by at the, in the back of the book. And um, Mark and I uh, we couldn't find the, the estate of Marty Robbins. And, you know, people might be better at finding that stuff than we were. But I couldn't find anybody to contact about getting the rights to the song. And then one night I, I just sent a message to Mark and I was like, I should just write a new song. And then that would we could we wouldn't have to talk to anybody. And that would be fun to do. <laughs> And it, so it's more of a murder ballad than the first song was more of a, um, more of a cowboy ballad. And the, the remake is more of a, kind of like Nick Cave's Staggerly. Yeah, I do. I dig the, dig the song, but Livy's is way right. It's basically like just an outline for the, for the book. So if you don't want your story spoiled, you might want to hang on and not listen to the song. Um, because the song is available, right? Uh, David, the actual like you, your buddy um, recorded it. Your version. Yeah, yeah. He um, he surprised me. He came up with a, you know, he. Whenever we have parties around here, um, uh, some of these guys will get out their guitars and and even violins and start little hoedowns at in the end of the party. And I knew <laughs> that uh, he was a pretty good musician. So um, I thought, well, I won't, I was thinking about the fish bites cop. Uh, uh, fuck the police acoustic version <laughs> but this was you know more ambitious this was a new song uh, and so I asked him, his name is Harley Ferris I asked Harley if uh, if you want to take a crack at it and he was like oh I'm a huge fan of the Marty Robbins song I, um, and he said he had a he had a country voice he'd been waiting to try out <laughs> so uh, a couple days um, a couple days later he sends me a message and he says uh, just get ready to add the trumpets I thought, holy <laughs> shit. Because I just figured it would be another, you know, an acoustic thing on, on a tape recorder or something. But he has all sorts of um, uh, music equipment and uh, he's plays several instruments. His wife did the harmonies for it and uh, it came out like a professional song. So when he was done, I said, you should just sell that on, on iTunes. I feel bad, um, you know, just wasting it on like a book trailer situation. And then we thought, why even do a book trailer? Those are fucking stupid anyway. So we just did the SoundCloud where you could just listen to the song with a link to buy the book. And then I made um, MP3s for it that uh, I said we'd give away like 10 of them to the first 10 people that bought it. And then if you wanted to do something with it, you know, I think it's only fair that he tries to make some money off of it. But he was just like, do what you want with it. You know, it was just something fun to do. But I still think he should sell it on iTunes. I think it would be, um, he'd make some money. It's, it's a quality song and it's got a great, uh, he added some flourishes to it at the end. I don't know if you got to the end of the song, but he, there's like a spoken word 
sort of a Johnny Cash, Charlie Daniels moment. And he picked uh, quotes out of the book. And they, out of context, they, they kind of sound like a, a autistic cowboy or something. <laughs> These sort of random musings um, as the song kind of winds down. But it's good. There's electric guitar breakdown in the middle. It's, it's pretty sweet. Um, yeah, it's legit. It's definitely legit. It's legit. <laughs> um, so I, I won't ramble with my wrap-up, but um, I've always dug pretty much everything David's written, and this is no exception. Um, uh, the story was great. I liked... I, I don't know if this is the appropriate word, but I liked the, that it was a little more practical as far as like you know being grounded in reality and having a... Um, <laughs> Uh, a more Oops. straightforward plot. <laughs> I say that. This is, in the David, most... I want you to think about your writing. This book was grounded in reality. <laughs> I know exactly what he's saying. <laughs> I'm surprised too, but I, I understand exactly what he's saying. Um, as, as consumptive as he sounded this whole episode, coughing little blood into his handkerchief. I know, like I, I it's very Doc Hollywood of you. I. Doug Hollywood, the Michael J. Fox exactly. uh, movie. All right, well, I guess that's he's as close famous, to it. He's a famous gunslinger. <laughs> I remember that movie differently. Very Doc Hollywood. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, that's it. I, I like the book a lot, and it's going to be the straight-up David James Keaton five stars. Yeah, not... Um, you know, I keep going back to this, and, and, and you know, I, I'm constantly asked for, for book recommendations outside of the internet, people I work with, people I know. And whenever I think it's a good fit for somebody, I say, you know, David James Keaton, I go, you know what, he's the most entertaining writer I know. And, and I'm sticking by that, that um, the entertainment value is so high. Um, while we were kind of working through the quotes and stuff, you know, I'd actually set off air. I said, you know, some of the best parts of these are these conversations the outlaws are having where nobody knows what the other person's fucking talking about it. But they're just good fun. And in many cases, kind of insightful conversations. If you spend the time to kind of look at them a little bit, they come all as the kind of little screwball, Laurel and Hardy type conversations. But there's a lot of insight in some of those, too. So um, the story was really good. I, I got to tell you, Rob, um, I don't know who would have to write a third weird Western. But, you know, we really like The Rain King. We really like Pig Iron. It would probably take the right person for me to read another Western. But this genre might might not be too bad. Um, I, I really enjoyed this, and yeah, I'm with you on this. This is five stars. Totally, totally enjoyable. I didn't listen to the whole song because I felt spoilers coming, and I'm glad Rob said that there were and that I didn't. But well, I'm listening to it tonight. Can. Yes. Now you can. Yeah, I did. I got through, and I'm like, man, this is going right through the story. <laughs> Recognize the part I was reading. I was like, oh, I got to turn this off. It is a bit spoiler heavy, but you have to go from the from the idea that you expect no one to read the book. So, well, that's yeah. I see what you're saying. Spoil everything. Spoil it all. Makes sense. Totally makes sense. All right. All before right. we let you get on with your uh, with your evening, any sneak peeks into uh, into what you're working on currently? Um, well, I'm working on a big uh, big three book project that um, uh, I don't have a whole lot to say about it. Not to not to be vague, but um, I'm sort of underwater on that right now. But uh, the next thing coming out is um, stealing propeller hats from the dead which you might recognize the little zombie uh, bed and breakfast action in the middle of that. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Collection of zombie fiction. I um, I realize I've accumulated quite a bit of zombie stuff over the years, and like I was saying to a friend of mine, they are now unfashionable enough that I think it's 
safe to put out another zombie thing. I think that people are finally sick of them enough to put another book out. So well, I can it. assure I can assure people who are sick of zombie things that um it's not going to be your your standard fare. And and I don't even know what all's going into this, but the ones I do know are definitely not. Yeah, your straightforward zombie stuff. In the the Z B and B revisit. Um, you know, I'm justifying that anybody who's read it before that they'd want to read it again. Uh, by that there have been enough changes made yeah, since you read it. Time for more changes. I mean, it has to be updated. Since since we talked the first time, which was because of ZB&B, um, a lot of shit has happened. The, the zombie renaissance that we predicted came true, and now we're on the tail end of it where it's the backlash. So that story was like a preemptive backlash. So now it has to be updated to address what's happening in the zombie world, you know, and, and our, in pop culture, um, zombies are doing something entirely different than when I was attacking them originally. So this attack is, this is the attack of the people attacking the people that were attacking it. And when can we expect this out? Uh, September 1st. Beautiful. Who's that coming out through? Uh, Perpetual Motion Machine Publishing. Beautiful. Um, before we let you go, I want to know, Robbie in the book, that was definitely named after me, right? Oh, of course. <laughs> he Robbie. lies. So, uh, Robbie Wendler, Robbie, quote, Doc Hollywood Wendler. <laughs> <laughs> a cough, cough. <coughs> I can't help it if I got a cough, man. It's yeah, weird. But... I saw that movie, too, Doc Hollywood. <laughs> Rob's got the vapors. I got. I'm dying of consumption, like uh, Doc Hollywood. Doc Hollywood. Now that was multiple sclerosis. <laughs> Too soon. He's still alive, right? <laughs> yeah. Right, Michael. Michael. Well, it's Parkinson's. Oh. oh. Michael oh. J. Fox. Yeah. I thought he had MS. No, it's Parkinson's. Wait, we've been dumping buckets of water on each other for nothing? <laughs> That's ALS. I'm so happy that people in the background applauded that. I hope that comes through to all the listeners. Your old neighborhood. This was so respectable. For so long, this this was so respectable. Only in the final moments does it, does it turn into this. All right, David. Um, thank you for um, for coming on again and talking about your book. You'll have to let us know. We've got we've got a whole summer of lazy podcasting ahead of us. If you want to shoot the shit, all you gotta do is drop us a line, and we'll we'll, we'll give you a spot in there somewhere. Yeah, I'll be uh, I'll be He's... probably uh, MIA for a few weeks, but I'll be back around August probably. You're going to a to a town where there's no water. That's exactly right. <laughs> Talk about wish fulfillment. I just thought about this. By the way, reading that book, I was thirsty the entire time I was reading that book. <laughs> I don't know if that was like just a psycho. I'm sure it was psychosomatic, but like I legitimately was. David's going to get to his new home and shoot a fucking horse in the head. And Amy's just going to be like, what the fuck just happened? It'll be just like the book. It should be like, what book? <laughs> I will not, I'm not ready for the lack of water. I take long, luxurious showers. <laughs> I take the, the, the hand, one hand on the wall... Uh, dramatic, the dramatic cop. What have I done? Shower. The, you know the cigarette hanging out of the mouth. The sitting at the corner of the drain. Little blood trickling. I 
take well, all those. I take melodramatic showers. I'm not ready for this. What is they got a water ration out there? What is this? Hey, when are you moving out there? Uh, August. The beginning of August. Uh, end of August. Oh, I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be in um, the San Jose area, August uh, 10th through the 17th. Oh shit! That'll be close. It'll be close. And we're gonna be. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna be in Santa Clara. That's right next to there. From what I understand, it's Santa Clara is essentially in San Jose, isn't it? Yeah, it's like nine thousand towns, all right, just piling up on San Jose. So I'm sure it's. I'll probably be staying right where you're going. Yeah. Oh well, maybe it'll work out. Maybe I'll I'll bring some water with me and just leave it there for you. Please, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna fill my trunk with water. <laughs> Taking the water out there. <laughs> Too bad you can't make water from water, like grow water. <laughs> seems like it shouldn't be so scarce. I mean, why are they <laughs> living there? Why why don't they close that up if there's no water? I don't know. I don't know what to say, man. <laughs> Any final thoughts before we uh, kick you off the episode? No. No, I'm just, just that I'm sitting in a baby pool right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks for coming on, David. It's Thanks, always... <laughs> David. I love water. <laughs> All right, there was another um, David James Keaton sponsored episode. <laughs> God, I love having that guy on. I don't know. It's just, it brings a whole new level. He, his brain just doesn't work like everybody else's, I guess. And it, it makes for, for excellent podcasting, I think. Yeah. And we're, I mean, we're typically so controlled about mm-hmm. the way that the podcast goes that he isn't really the only um, guest that would show up before we introduce him and just start talking. You know, uh, yeah, feels at home, and that's okay. Things like that uh, <laughs> accuse me of being from a non-Western movie in a Western book review. That mm-hmm. was funny. So, uh, love him, and uh, it's just so we just have such a nice organic relationship with him. We're just like his his style works with us because we're pretty laid back, and and uh, we entertain each other. I hope I hope he's entertained by us, and we're not just like you know fanboys. I think we're probably fanboys. <sighs> Fuck. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. Sometimes you gotta be a fanboy. That's fine. That's fine. Uh, I'm not kidding though. That's two weird westerns we really liked. Yeah, you're right. So, um, yeah, I don't know of anybody that's writing another one. Here comes some more motorcycles. Maybe like my neighborhood's being terrorized right now, and I don't even know it. Remember that time <laughs> that the fire alarm was going off in my building, that's, and I was really that's... lazy about it. Dude, the sons of anarchy have come to your neighborhood. Oh, man. Fucking. Sh- Shooting shit up. They're they're just angry because I stopped watching that show in like the third season. Um. So yeah. I, I. But honestly, here's the whole thing. I don't know that I'd pick up a weird western unless I had some um some pretty strong belief in the writer already. So I don't think that uh, I don't think we'll be hitting the weird western. <laughs> Although, um, David had posted a picture on Facebook. Did you see the one he posted? He was looking through western bestsellers. And one of them was like, I don't know, some weird picture of a cowboy like grabbing a girl's ass. And it just seemed like it was kind of a real rapey, like, I don't know, it kind of like it's so thick, but it, in a Western. <laughs> oh, no, I must have missed that. But now I want to go check it out. <clears throat> so speaking of rapey, <laughs> um, I started reading our next book. Did you now? Yeah, I did. <laughs> our um, next book. <laughs> For, for people who haven't been listening or just haven't listened to the last couple episodes, um, we're going to review Grey, 
which is the 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 book by E.L. James, which is basically it's not basically it's it's exactly Fifty Shades of Grey told from the perspective of Christian Grey, because the world needed that. Now, Rob, let me ask you a question since you've already started it. Here's what I started thinking. You know, she's had a couple years. She's heard all the feedback. <laughs> so, well, here's the thing. She can't change the story, right? Because it's just being told from Christian's point of view. So all that can change is, is, is the point of view, right? But maybe she cleaned up some of the things that were, were bad about the other book, like the writing style, the, the weird inner dialogue and, and any of that. Is that, that My hope is that I read this and go, well, the story's still the same. But God damn it, I have a newfound respect for E.L. James. She kind of got her shit together and wrote a good literary book. No. Okay. So That's really what I expected. <laughs> what I was thinking, <laughs> you know, I'm like, really, maybe this was her second swipe. You know, and people go like, man, this is actually really good writing. So, no. I mean, so far, I mean, I've only gone through like the first chapter, but um, it's told from Kristen's perspective. And... Um, sprinkled throughout like the narration of what he's thinking about kind of is it I think it's from his perspective I'm, I'm kind of mystified by it now because it's like it's someone that's narrating their own life um and uh sprinkled throughout that are just in italics his thoughts about things and they're never good thoughts um like um either it's about sex or he's angry at someone those are like his italicized thoughts um it's it's not it's not good the writing's not any better and um christian gray aside from being a rich entitled asshole is also essentially basically a rapist i'm just (laughs) this is the impression i'm getting right now now that we're seeing it from his perspective it's not like he's like this brooding troubled you know guy with with a good heart he's just a dick well, there you go. I guess it'll be interesting. What, what'll be really interesting to see, and we probably will see this because the book came out um, you know, last week. So there's um, probably already a ton of reviews on Amazon, I'm assuming. Um, what'll be interesting to see if women are as attracted to him reading from his point of view, because there are plenty of women that were swooning over Christian Grey, you know, reading it from Anastasia's point of view. It'll be interesting to see if that opinion changes based on how she portrays him, especially, and I'm assuming he's going to have a character arc, so he starts out like that, but then, you know, towards the end of the book, he's like this lovable guy. Just an assumption. It'll be interesting to to kind of look into what some other people think. Speaking of other people, um, um, we're bringing someone else on to get their thought and opinion on this uh, book as well. (laughs) I don't think we could have chosen a better, or had chosen for us, a better... uh guest reviewer for for this book brandon teats of good sex great prayers will be um, amongst other things but will be joining us i'm very excited it's going to be his first time as a um, co-host guest on the show we did uh we did uh, host a reading that he was at in chicago last year which was for the release of good sex great prayers um, and we did get to hang out with him um, recently in minneapolis just a great guy um, it'll be fun to to get his day, dude. You know he never read Fifty Shades of Grey. Maybe he'll just fucking love this. I didn't know that he hadn't read Fifty Shades of Grey. I must have missed that somehow. But um, I'm going to go ahead and guess that he's not going to like this book. 
<laughs> and I guess I'm just making an assumption. I don't know for a fact that he did, but I'm pretty sure of all the people that we know in the uh, you know literary community, it was me, you, and Amanda Gowan are the only ones that, that read actually it. read the book. Yeah, fairly certain that that's how it went. So, at any rate, I'm very much looking forward to that. And then a break from reviewing books. We haven't really determined what that length is, but. Um, we have some ideas of some of the things you're going to be hearing, um, mostly interviews, guest stuff. I don't know. We may bring DJK on um, just to shoot the shit a little bit. So it's going to be a fun summer in our lazy summer of podcasting. Where we um, act lazy by just podcasting. Is that right? Is that That's correct. Yes. Yes. We're going to have a summer where we take the summer off from doing the hard work and do what other podcasts do on a regular basis. <laughs> That's right. Um Livius, you're so tickled by that lazy summer podcasting thing. It's a I love it. Well, like I said, it just occurred to me because you know, here's that <laughs> Rob and I are talking. We're like, man, we need a break. We've been doing just book review after book review, and somehow it came up. I was like, you know, shows have seasons. They take a break. Rob's like, why don't we take a couple months off? Like, that's a great idea. And I thought <laughs> we're taking a couple months off, but still doing what other people do for their. I don't understand how this works, and then I realized that to us, that's a break. So. Yeah. What? Yeah. What you guys struggle to co- accomplish is a break for us. Right, so um, but next week, first, before we do that, we got some hard work ahead of us. Gray by E.L. James with guest star, um, guest star with guest host Brandon Teets. Um, until then, I'm, I'm Livia Snudden, <laughs> and I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading.